So we're going to do life together. I want you to go with me this morning. We're in a series called Better Together. That's one of the core values of our church that we're leaning on more and more. And the more I get into this, the more I realize we've got to have each other. And I believe the days ahead are are going to proclaim that more. I, I believe some of you are going to be changed this morning if you'll hear the plan and the will of God. So in the book of in the book of Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start there today. I, I, I wish I had time to read every verse, but I don't. So for time's sake, I, I'm going to tell you a story. Probably get into some of the verses, but I'm going to tell you the story of creation from Genesis chapter 2. Matter of fact, I might as well just start reading because I'll get in trouble if I don't. Miss uh, Mindy, I'm going to alter that verse. Let's go to verse 4, if you don't mind, for just a moment. This is what the scripture says. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I want you to notice something here before I go any further. In Genesis chapter 1, every time you see God, it says this, in the beginning, God created. The word God there means Elohim. The whole council, the whole fullness of God, of heaven, was all involved in creation. But in the book of Genesis chapter 2, It's different because now it identifies God as the Lord God. And I think if you'll go through there and mark that, it's either seven or eight times God God addresses himself totally, in a sense, different. Not only am I Elohim, master, creator, and ruler, but now he says, I am master, ruler, creator. You need to understand that and mark that because what he is saying is I'm the one that knows and is giving command to how the heavens and the earth are supposed to function. So when the enemy came in in Genesis 3, he never acknowledged him that way. He just said God knows in the day that you eat. But the master ruler God said, The day you eat of it, you die. That's very important, I believe, for God. All through Genesis chapter 2. I don't want to waste my time or spend my time there. Let's go on. So the Bible said this this is the history. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field was grown, for the Lord had had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Another great point you and I need to see. The earth really can't function the way God intends it to function without man being positioned in the earth. And if things are messed up in the earth, I will have to say this. It's not because we've got a lot of cows in the field doing what cows do. It's because we got man not taking his rightful place in God to govern the earth to make it be what God intended it to be. God said it. 
He said, I'm not allowing it to produce because I have no man. Now let's get to the next part. Then he says in verse 7, everybody say this with me. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Or man became a speaking spirit, a living spirit. Now he's standing as one of God. So when God made him, made him in his perfection, in only the way the Lord God could do, creation didn't know in one sense whether it was God or whether it was man because they are so much identically alike. Y'all real quiet. But you have to understand creation. I loved it. Every time I go through it, I learn something new. Then it says, then the Lord. The Lord God planted a garden eastward. I like that. That's the first time I've seen that as many times as I've read it. The Lord God planted as though he created and blessed it there and said, Garden of Eden, you be there and all the beauty of it and the rivers that flow out of it. That's not what he did. Why did he not do it that way? Because he set a pattern of how the earth was to be governed or how the earth was to bring forth and it would bring forth through seed and harvest. But you have to understand, I believe in that moment of time because a day in the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Jerry, I don't know if it works like this on your farm or not, but God could put a seed in the ground in the afternoon or before he turns around, it's already got a harvest. Because there was nothing hindering. There was no decay. There was nothing out of the way. So God planted. The Lord God planted. Remember, everything is significant through the scripture. So he planted this garden. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that was good, in the, that was good to the sight and good for food. Who was it good in the sight for? For Adam. For mankind. That's why beauty, the beauty of creation is so compelling. It's supposed to be good in our sight. And then he goes, goes on to say the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and then the Lord said, now a river went out of that garden. And it went into four heads. And I, I, I want to skip down because I really want to get into the meat of what I'm going to say. Because now this river is flowing out. Because it's not to stay there. It is to grow. And it is to multiply. And it is to fill the earth. I want to say something to you. Every healthy thing grows. If it's healthy, it's to grow. If it's healthy, it's to produce. If it's healthy, it's to expand itself into other things. That's what God was saying here. That's the reason it was flowing. There's a river and the streams of the river, I believe, make glad, as the psalmist said, the city of God. So now the kingdom is flowing. Then he goes on. Let's get to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. I might say it like this. He put him in the garden to guide, govern it, and guard it. But you have to understand, this was his place of living. 
This is how man is supposed to be living in this wonderful place. You are supposed to be the one that is having authority over your lives and through your life that you can produce and declare everything that God intended for it to be. And the Lord God commanded man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat in it, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is something very important. Remember, this is the history. The master ruler has set this up, and this is what God is saying. I have put in man the words of life. They're not coming, they're in you. I have put in man the words of life. It was in Adam. God never violated anything beyond that at this moment because God put this in Adam, the words of life. He said, you shall eat of all the trees. Everything is yours, Adam, except this. But the moment you do, you die. Now we're getting to verse 18. This is really the subtitle of where I'm at today. I I, I almost broke in tears because these guys, again, didn't know where I'm going As Brother Adam started out that song this morning, the first one, it talks about us not being alone. But listen to what God said. And the Lord God said, it's not good. Everybody, let's read this together. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper compatible or comparable to him. Now, who said that? The master ruler. The creator. Now, this isn't my revelation. This is Pastor Val's. I'm stealing it today. You can, he's preaching Wednesday night. Now, now abideth faith, hope, and love. You don't want to miss it. But this is, his, this is what we do when we get together for coffee because we'll see things out of what we're speaking and what we're hearing through the message. Think about this for a moment. We sing this song, Just Give Me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. That's all I need. Well, that's a wonderful song. I believe in that. Uh, But if we really understood the meaning of that, we're talking about not living according to the world's systems, but living according to the plan and the will of God. This is give me Jesus. Hello. So the master ruler looks at the man that he made, that he put his words of life in, gave him a place to live that was extremely well. And then God says, Adam... It's not good for you to be alone. It's just him and God. Think about that for a moment. Man, we're pursuing our seeker meetings. Let's just get in the presence. But at the beginning, God said he's here with Adam. And God said this really isn't the best place to be. Sorry, I'm blowing your your, your theology. But I didn't say it. God said it. The master ruler. It's not good that man should be alone. Now, wait a minute. There's a difference. Let me make sure that you understand this. There's a difference in being alone and being lonely. Because I've no doubt got people in this room this morning, you're lonely, and yet you're among a crowd of people. There's a world of difference. You can be in your own home among your family and be lonely. 
But it doesn't mean you're alone. That's a message for another day. But when God said this to Adam, he was talking about, there is no other like you that I made around you, and it's not good that you be the only one of them. Why? Because you can't fulfill what I've intended for you to do without another one like you in their life. You, them in your life and you in their life. Are you okay? I'm giving you the Bible, all right? This isn't pastor trying to just preach a good message. I love this area. I could preach here everywhere I go. But then he said, it's not good that man be alone. And then I I find it interesting, verse 19, that out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living thing, that was its name. Watch. Wait a minute. If it's not good that he be alone... Why would the first thing God want him to look at would be the animals? I know I got pet lovers in here. But your pet lover, your pet cannot take the place in your life, no matter how much you invest in it, to fulfill the purpose that somebody else can. So when God said to Adam, I'm going to let all these animals come, so here comes a kitty cat. I know Miss Adrian's a cat lover. Got two of them. She puts pictures up of them all the time. I've got people in here that are dog lovers. My friend Roger and D-Lo, they got, they got dogs. They don't have children. They'll just say, Pastor, these are our kids. That's an ugly one. Woo. I'm glad that wasn't born of you. Sorry, Rog. <laughs> But think about it for a moment. Why did God bring them, let Adam, I want you to look at him. Because Adam was looking at them, and when he would give a name, he was describing their strengths and their abilities of what they're to do. But none of them matched him. There was nothing that matched him. None of it that he brought forth. He enjoyed them. He liked them. But none of them fulfilled him. Matter of fact, he didn't see them as somebody that he could walk with. He saw them as somebody he could lord over, in a sense, or be a master over that would help fulfill some things through his life, but never bring the completion like someone of his own kind. So then the Bible says, Then the Lord said he named all of them and Adam gave name to all the cattle, the birds and every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. Notice he didn't say he went to sleep. God caused a very deep sleep. I'm getting ready to change something in you, Adam. Because the only thing that you have gotten comfortable with that's been anything close to you is me. And God caused a deep sleep. I'm taking you into surgery. 
I know, I think Dr. Dave, I think I saw him back there. I asked him the other day, oh, there he is over there, the anesthesiologist. I said, Dave, I, I, he didn't know what I was asking for, I don't think, but I, I said, why do they put people to sleep? When you go to surgery, you're going to do it on me, put me out. Because one, I don't know what, I, want, I don't want to know what's going on. But there's a couple of things that I didn't know, or at least one thing I didn't know. Because there's some surgeries that are so difficult and so great upon your life that they literally have to breathe for you. So they put you so deeply under that they can put machines on you that are breathing for you to keep your breath so that you don't die in the transition. Now, I know I'm not saying it like Dr. Dave. I'm putting it in Zach's terms. But I believe there's another reason that I come to. Because they don't want you to remember what you just walked through. They don't want you to remember the pain. They don't want you to feel the pain of what you have just encountered and what you have just experienced. Matter of fact, I believe in this case, for Adam, God was saying to Adam, I don't want you to remember where you've been walking. Because God put him in this sleep, and God had to bring him out of this sleep. Are you okay? So then he's, he's there, and the moment he goes to sleep, God says, all right, God reaches into him or he opens up the flesh and he takes from him a rib and the Bible says that he creates or he builds this beautiful creature called woman from the rib and the flesh of Adam. So now she is very comparable. She is of his nature. She of his, of his looks. She's of his flesh, of his life, of his movement, of all of that. And we don't know how long Adam was out, how long Adam was down. But I do know that when he woke up, his view had changed. Because now he wakes up, and this is what the word said, that God brings, this is very important. God wasn't changing Adam's view of himself. But what God was doing was changing Adam's view of where God's going to be. And so now God takes her by the hand and he brings her before Adam. And the first view that Adam has is of this beautiful lady of his kind. But God is still not eliminated out of it. It's not eliminated out of it. God's right in the midst of it. That's why God showed up there. Because if God had stepped back and had not been there, Adam would have totally forgotten about God. But instead, God is saying, I want to show you where I'm going to dwell, Adam, among men. And I'm going to dwell, uh, I'm going to dwell among relationship. So he awakens with a brand new view. Matter of fact, 
I, I don't think we hear another time where God really appears to him because from this moment, Adam looks at her and he says, Now you are flesh of my flesh. You are bone of my bone. Shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife? And the Bible went on to say, And they were both naked and not ashamed. I shared with you last, last week they were in the glory of God. I believe they were actually light. I believe they were so much light because they were like their creator. But they were naked and not ashamed. And he doesn't address God, but he addresses the woman. And God brings them. God awakens him into a new way of living. He awakens them into a relationship that really the only place. Now God is our fulfillment. Don't misunderstand anything. I'm not eliminating God out of anything I'm saying. But I believe much of the church. We've wondered why the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's because it's just been me and you and Jesus. Instead of us crawling into a world that needs Jesus. Hello? So he said, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You'll leave your father and mother. He didn't even have a father and mother. Isn't that interesting? Never thought about it. He didn't. Now shall we leave God? No, he just said, just leave father and mother. Let's hang on to God. But we're going to walk away from father and mother. And we're going to be one flesh. In other words, we're going to do life together. That's his thought. That's what he's saying to him. And they were both naked and not ashamed. I think we need to maybe grasp a hold of a couple of those words. What does it mean to, not, to be naked and not ashamed? Let me, let me deal first of all uh, with the word naked would really mean this. It wasn't that they just didn't have any clothes on. They didn't need them because here's the reason why. There was absolutely no judgment or scrutiny among them. See, the most difficult time or the most challenging thing it is for most of us to even gather in to relationship, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an unrighteous judgment, whether it comes from us or coming from them. What are they thinking about me? And if something is said, I've allowed a judgment to be passed upon me. Uh, they're going to think this, and that is a battle that everyone, I guarantee you, in this room, because of the fall of man and sinfulness that we deal with, is the judgment. As a pastor, I walk away from here, you don't know how many times, I, I don't know if they like me or not. I don't know if they heard me or not. It doesn't matter if I've heard from God. I know I've heard from God. I didn't just pull this out of a book. This isn't somebody else's message. I've, I've been before the Lord over this. But I can still walk away because it might be in your look. It might be in your expression. It might be in the chairs don't bother me. They don't bother me. They never say anything. The cats and the dogs and the deer and the lot don't say anything. They don't bother me. It's you guys that are like my kind. And no doubt it's the same thing back this way, that we deal with this judgment. That's the hardest part. Even some of you, I don't want, I don't want to go open my life up to anybody because what are they going to think? Come on. Yes, come on. What are they going to think if I really open myself, if I really become vulnerable? And yet I find it so interesting as a church. You know when we get the most pat on the backs? 
the most amens never fail. Pastor, you were all over my toes today. You were telling me how sinful I was. You were, tell- you were right in my mail. For some reason, we like that, but that wasn't what God intended for his man and woman to live in. And somehow we're going to have to get back beyond this place. That judgment or, or that idea of judgment is not a part of life groups, but it's us coming together and discovering, you know what, that Charlie is just as much as a scoundrel as I was. You know what? That Miss Pia dad doesn't have her together no more than I got it together. That's where we begin to, when you find that out and discover that, all of a sudden we begin to loosen up. And it gives us an opportunity to say, wait a minute, I'm not the only one messed up in this ship. I've come to learn something about church. Church isn't about perfect people because I promise you there's not a one in here that is. I'm close, but I'm really not there yet. But I am perfected in Christ and so are you. But then he said they were naked and not ashamed. The word ashamed there just simply means this. They weren't disappointed. There were no delays. And they had not, I like this definition, they had not become dry. And the first thing when I read that definition, the first thing that came to my mind is like every one of us in this room, most of us, I should say, will understand Ezekiel 37, that prophecy when God says, go to the boneyard and prophesy over it. And he looked down off the cliff and here in the valley is a bunch of dry bones. No flesh on them. Nothing. What did he say? They're naked. They're not in judgment and they're not ashamed. They're not dry. You want to know where the dryness come? Their disconnect came. And the moment they broke loose from the other joint, dryness began to fill them. This is why it's so important that we do life together and we stay connected because there is a flow. There is a stream through us that allows us to stay vibrant and healthy even when we're struggling. But if you separate yourself out, you know, I hear, I just deal with church, okay? I hear people, I don't have anything going on. Well, maybe it's not me. I know pastors, I've done that. I blame myself for people leaving, for people not liking, for people that maybe it's not me. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've disconnected yourself from what God is doing. Maybe you've gotten disconnected from the body. Maybe you've gotten disconnected from, I'm just dry. Nothing's going on. I told you a while ago, man, oh my gosh, I was coming into the church this morning, had, had Jensen Franklin on, and he had Crystal Gale singing. And she was singing that song, There's a New Name Written in Glory. I'm sitting there crying in my car. I mean, I, I mean, it's overflowing me. And I come in here, and our worship team kicked that song. I almost went to the floor because I felt the presence of God. If you're dry, it may be that you're not connected into the body properly. They were both naked and not ashamed. Then the enemy shows up. The enemy shows up and he said, have God said. May I tell you where Eve got her information? Because it really lied. It laid into the hands. I put too many notes down. I got to find where I'm at. I've lost where I'm at. He, he, put, he, put, he put it 
Adam, remember, God didn't speak to Eve. God spoke to Adam. And Eve had to have a transformation and come to life. God breathed into him and he was living. But her life became of the word and the breath that he would impart into her. So here's a couple of things that happened when, when, she, when he brought her before the man. The first thing that happened was this. Adam received his help. See, some of you are needing help in this room and you're not receiving your help. God said, you need help. You're going to do this life and be fulfilled and complete everything I want you to do. You're going to have to be in a God relationship. And then he said he received it, he embraced it, and he began to care for it. The first, listen, the master ruler God established this in the very beginning of history. Of all the earth, of all creation. And God said, this is how the heavens and the earth will work. It'll work through this thing called relationship. And he never changed his mind. Never changed his mind. We're better together. God said, if I'm going to fill the earth, then I want it filled. I want a family. I want it brought forth. I need it through flesh. That's what God desires for his people. Think about this. Let me move us to the New Testament real quick. 400 years have gone silent. It's just gone silent. Man's gone to sleep. No open vision of God. No fresh revelation flowing. But the last thing that God spoke before man would go into that place that I'm going to call sleep. And I know it doesn't say he put him to sleep, okay? But if you're 400 years and you're not hearing from God and you're not seeing God and there's no open vision, you might be asleep. But there were two things that he said. And every one of us need to hear it. I made a covenant back there that I intend to keep. Listen, church, I don't care how bad it gets out here. God said, I made a covenant with my people back there that will be perpetual, that I will take care of my people. Go read it in the book of Malachi. And then the second thing that he said is this. I'm going to turn the heart of the Father back to the sons and the Son back to the fathers. What's he restoring? I'm restoring relationship again. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord. But it's what is interesting is the very last verse mentioned, the very last words of the Old Testament. If I don't build back these relationships and man turn back, then the earth will be struck with a curse. Go read it. It's the very last words of Old Testament. If you don't enter in, then it's allowing the curse to work in the earth. So then the next thing that happens, we see Jesus. God said, man needs help. And so I'm going to bring him help. And the Bible said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
full of mercy and full of grace. Full of mercy and full of grace. Church, how many of us really believe God? I think everybody said they would. Yeah, thank you. I believe everybody in the room would say, I trust God. Hang on, buddy, I'm preaching. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room says they'll trust God. But do you really trust him that if you'll do it his way, that his outcome will be produced whether you see it happening or unfolding or not? Because that's where real faith is. Well, I, I just think we've got to know, what did God say? You and I have got wrapped up. I'm, I'm sorry, but we have. We've really involved ourselves so much in this political system that we're really not seeing God. And I'm not opposing what we're doing. I'm just saying we're wrapped up in it so much that if we just change that office, everything in the world will change. I'm sorry it won't. Because the only way it will do it, and I know I just made some of you upset with me, but I know that the only thing that's going to change it is when we change the hearts of men. And the way we change the hearts of men is that we've got to carry the word of life that is in us into a relationship with somebody that doesn't have it and make a deposit. So the word became flesh and it was full of mercy and it was full of grace. Do you ever think about this? Follow with me for just a moment and I'll land this jet. Are you okay? Look at your neighbor's smile. I, I want you to be happy this morning. So, so look what happens. The first thing that Jesus did, he's identified by John at the rivers, the water at the river. Out of, out of Eden was the rivers that flowed. The first thing that happens here, Jesus is identified by John. Behold the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. John is baptizing. Jesus comes. John steps out. He said, no, stay in because you've got to give witness to who I am and you've got to give witness before the world. Behold the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. He comes up out of, the, out of the waters of baptism. The first place that he goes into is the wilderness where he's tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he comes in. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, comes out in the power of the Spirit. And the first thing that he does is choose him some followers. Hey, come with me. I need some of you guys in my life because we're going to fulfill all righteousness. I need some help. I need some of my kind. I want you guys to follow me. I wish we had more of the picture of what life was like with Peter, James, and John and the rest of those disciples. But I got an idea. It wasn't always in a Bible study, always on a, on a mountain where the Beatitudes are being preached. But I got, a, I got a picture of Jesus and those guys walking along the beach and Jesus gets a little bit, you know, funny and he just reaches over and shoves one of them real good into the water. I believe that's moments they laughed together. I believe there were moments... That they, and we also know there were moments that, that Peter went after Jesus. Hey, I'm not going to let that happen to you. Jesus looked at him, get behind me, devil. But yet, turn around, walk away. Hey, we're still in love. Because it was relationship. And then the first miracle. How many knows where it was? At a wedding feast. Now, wait a minute. I don't think Jesus was in the Wedding Crasher movie. 
So how did he get into the wedding feast? By invitation. He got there out of relationship. Maybe it was one of his friends. Maybe it was one of mother's friends. No matter where it was, he managed to find himself. Because you just don't go crash weddings. Think about this. I'm going to give you another view of a couple of miracles real quick. And we're done. And when mama gets there, after they're there and they're having the wine, they're having the party, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the wine runs out and mom looks at him and says, oh no, they're out of wine. Now what was so wrong with running out of wine? Because if you're the one throwing the party, you are the one that was responsible for all the guests and to see that everything They need it was there and was in abundance. But if you would have run out, it would have brought shame upon the master of the house that had thrown the party. And I believe what God was saying here. I've stepped into your party and it looks like you have run out of of what you need. You've run out of life. You've run out of wine. But I don't want you to live in shame. So I'm willing. I'm willing to turn whatever is needed to get rid of the shame of your life. You see, when he turned that water into wine, there was something about the relationship with him and mama that released the supernatural. I I know what we've been saying, Pastor, what we need is more miracles. We need to bring people in that has miracles in their life so that we can be healed. And we can did you ever think that the person sitting next to you might be the one that's carrying the supernatural power of God to bring the healing in your life? And the more we connect, it releases the the supernatural ability of the Lord. The next miracle is found, I believe, in chapter 4. I think that's it. I, I don't, worship team, make your way back, would you? Jesus began to preach this gospel. He went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was putting it into the lives of, oh, people, yeah, it's chapter 3. I'm sorry. There's a rich, there's a rich ruler that comes to him. His name is Nicodemus. And the Bible said he comes by night. It's interesting to me. Why did he show up at night? Why did he try to find him at night? You see, we think everybody's just going to walk in our door. They're going to come on a Sunday morning. They're not. There could be a thousand reasons why they don't show up. Maybe just for the sake of this guy. Maybe one of the reasons is it was said because he was one of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the rulers that would have to enforce the law of Moses to be. And now he is seeing something with his eyes that he doesn't understand. That's pricking his imagination. And if he was to be seen with Jesus in the day or in the public it could bring because he could be one that would be identified as a traitor or rebellious it might even could bring him to the point that he would have had to be stoned but he shows up with Jesus at night in a place there's times listen in your relationship they're not going to come to the church but if you could build a relationship with somebody at work Maybe somebody at the market. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe somewhere. 
that maybe they're of another belief, another faith or whatever, and they're curious about Jesus, but, but they're not going to come here. But what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't condemn him for showing up late. He just answered his questions because he had questions. Master, people have got questions and we, the church, are arguing. People are looking for life and we're debating them instead of giving an answer. He said, Master, what must I do? I want it. He didn't understand everything that Jesus said. What do you mean you got to be born again? How can I, that of old, enter my mother's womb? He didn't understand it, but it didn't stop Jesus. It didn't stop Jesus from giving him answers. And nothing says that I recall at that moment that this man walked away from everything that he was a part of to follow Jesus. I heard a story. Man, we give so many people so many rough times. It's Pentecostal, charismatic word of faith. Man, it got deeply wounded with church. Didn't want anything to do with it. But he works construction. He travels a lot and he's in a hotel room. And while he's in that hotel room, he turns his TV on and there's Joel Osteen. You know, the one everybody criticizes and condemns. The one everybody says he's too shallow. The one everybody says he just wants you to feel good. That man right there in the hotel room, not in a church service, his life was radically transformed. In a hotel room, watching somebody just encourage him and build him up and give him hope when there was none. Where are we, church? The world needs hope if there ever was an hour. The world needs hope. It's now. And if we, the church, don't give it, where are they going to find it? Fourth chapter. Jesus and his disciples are going from Jerusalem to Jericho, I believe. And he said, I got to go through Samaria. I got to. I got to. So he winds up and his boys went on because the Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with each other. And he gets to this well and he sits down on it. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. And Jesus just sitting at a well and a woman shows up and draws water. And Jesus says, hey, I'd like a drink. You know, most of you know this story of the woman at the well. It wasn't the hour when she should have been there. Matter of fact, most of the women went to the well about the same time of the day to draw the water that was needed. But why is she alone? Why is she there? Maybe if you'd read the story, you and I read the story that Jesus has this this little conversation and while he's there, the gifts of the Spirit are working and he discerns that this lady is, is broken. She's bruised. She's gone through so much hurt. She's had four or five husbands and even went on to say that the one you got with you now is not not yours or something to that effect. And maybe the woman feels like everybody thinks she's the slut of the city. 
Nobody wanted to be near her. Nobody wanted to get close to her. But Jesus sits down and has this rational conversation just in a place of come over a glass of water. And then she gets religious because that's where a lot of people are at. They're caught in their religion. And so they're trying to give a definition to why they feel whatever. And Jesus said, "Let yeah, lady, that's true. You're, you're whatever. They're going to worship on this. But he said, the hour is coming when all true worshipers are really going to worship in spirit and in truth. And it had nothing to do with the worship service. Nothing. She was just being religious and she was so full of it. But Jesus just sat down there when the disciples said, I'm not doing anything with her. But Jesus was willing to enter into some just small conversation. And that day, because of this relationship, she became one of the greatest evangelists in the Bible that she went back into the village and said, come listen to this man. I want this guy that has told me all things about my life. You know what I believe was even more than that? I, I believe it was this. Even though he knew where she was, she felt accepted even in her sin. Let me give you one more. I got to land the jet because my time is already done. One more. It's the next story in John chapter 5, I believe it is. It's the time of the stirring of the water. The pool of uh, pool of Bethesda, I think is it. And every year at a certain time, the water would be troubled. And whoever got into the water first would be healed. This, this would evidently was a was something that was happening year by year. And so here's this man had been laying in this boat or laying in this spot for 38 years. This is what the word said. He said, I'm waiting for the troubling of the water. But he said, I have no man to put me in and I can't get into it by myself. I think we have to look at the story a little bit deeper for just a moment. What was wrong with this man? Why was this man in this position? Why didn't he have anybody close to him that would help him to want to put him in this pool? Maybe Jesus gives us a clue at the end of it after the man is healed. For he looks at the man and he says, Take up your cot and get out of here. But go and sin no more. Lest a greater thing come upon you. Wait a minute. Here's a guy in sin. Here's a guy dealing with the results of sin. And evidently, nobody was willing to help him until Jesus came. He said, don't you know it's time to get in? Don't you know it's time? I I don't have anybody. I'm alone. I'm by myself. Nobody will pick me up. Nobody will give me any assistance. So the man would have died. Not just died, but he would have died in his sin. Had not there been somebody that would have gotten close enough. Stand with me, would you? 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. He's been in this condition 38 long years. 
wanting to be free, wanting to be well. I don't want to deal with this. But nobody would put him in. And Jesus said, remember, it's the time of the stirring of the waters. Well, I'm going to declare to you that the waters are stirred. And if you're going to try to run to some place to find water, you're missing it. Because it is not there, and it's not there. It's not in Texas. I'm leaving for Texas this afternoon, me and Pastor Chad, for a couple of days. But I'm not going there to find water. Hello? It's not in New York. It's not on the West Coast. It's not in that conference or that conference. The water has been placed in you. He said, out of us will flow rivers of living water. The water is flowing. And somebody's looking to get in to the water of your life. That Jesus has stirred on the inside of you. I could keep going, but i got to stop because time won't allow me. But we are better together. And we cannot do this thing alone. I'm telling you, God, 38 years. If you go back into the Old Testament, that was the same amount of time according to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 2, I believe, that God said to Israel, you have been circling this mountain long enough. It's time to get into the promise. 38 years, 38 years back there, I believe God is saying to somebody here, You've been walking that way too long. I'm ready to set you free.